0: I'm not saying I'm a spinal cord injury assassin, I'm saying I'm a paralysis assassin. And the difference is that paralysis isn't just of the body. Paralysis can be of the mind, it can be of the emotions, it can be of the spirit. And so my whole journey is about trying to liberate that behavior from myself.
1: Welcome to Digging Deep, true stories of big change. Each episode of this podcast digs deep into one person's story of change to reveal a little bit about how and why we make big changes in our lives and what can be learned from these experiences. I'm your host, Kelly Styring, founder and principal researcher from Insight Farm, a consultancy that helps companies learn from their customers and consumers through deep conversation and connection, often told as stories like the one you'll hear on this podcast. So let's get the conversation started. Today's conversation is with Dustin Meza, hunter, free diver, and paraplegic who can walk. What? That's right. This conversation is a journey from his 30-foot free fall to spinal cord injury and recovery, and now his life's work as the paralysis assassin. To follow up directly with Dustin on any of the topics covered today, please see the show notes for contact details.
0: Yes, I've gone through spinal cord injury and... I've kind of put my hunting prowess towards this enemy of paralysis, you know, so many years later. Now I'm actually out there hunting, spearfishing, you know, doing hunting wild animals on my own two feet, which I thought I'd never be able to do. So it's kind of actually become this, this, you know, whole character that I get to live up to.
1: So let's go back in time. Let's talk about the before time.
0: When I came out here to Hawaii, I had already undergone some Taoist internal arts, if you will, and I'd practiced these yogic arts and qigong and tai chi, and and I kind of came out here to Hawaii to, to kind of like share these, these practices, and I was hoping to be able to share these practices at one of the resorts, you know, so I can... Get my name out there, if you will, and and I was really excited because in my experience, I've seen these practices do miraculous things and heal people from, you know, physical ailments to mental emotional disturbances, and um, just seen some pretty spectacular breakthroughs with people doing these practices. And so I was excited to be able to share that out here in this you know beautiful paradisical space. You know, about a week before my injury, I kind of I really committed to this practice and and to this pursuit and I was like okay I'm gonna do this and I took myself down to the southeast side of the island and if you're familiar with the big island of Hawaii this is where this is like the realm of Pele this is where the volcano is erupting right now and kind of has been on and off for for years. I did this kind of uh, ceremony if you will where I just kind of put myself out there and made a deep prayer to be able to share these practices, to be able to really understand them deeply and be able to, to, you know, be of service to a greater, you know, community. And three days later, I found myself lying at the bottom of this coconut tree, my body completely shattered and having this deep resounding knowing that it was all for purpose that there was somebody there with me that kind of made me feel like I wasn't walking alone, even though I couldn't walk. <laughs> um, but it kind of gave me this sense that I was there with somebody and that everything was gonna be okay. And I just needed to trust the process.
1: When you say you had this presence with you?
0: Yes. So did I did come had...
1: from the practice that you had no, already engaged in,
0: or was that new? I think... I think that the, this knowingness came from, it was like an answering from the the prayer that I had put out there. And so um, I'm kind of an auspicious dude. You know, I say a prayer three days later, that's an auspicious number. And, you know, you're getting this answer, but you're not getting the answer in the way that you, you necessarily thought you would. Right, You're like, I wanna share these practices and I wanna show that these things can really do some magic and they can really help people heal from the most incredible things. But before my injury, my understanding of healing was pretty limited. My understanding was like, hey, I'm already this healthy dude. I'm young, I'm vital. And like, if you do these practices, you could be just like me, but I didn't have any real world experience of injury or disease, right? And so here I am, boom, I get my body shattered. And not only do I have my body shattered, you know, bones um, and my spinal cord ripped to shreds, but I've got, you know, soft tissues and, and these secondary injuries that come because of spinal cord injury. And so the process of healing really helped me understand these different layers of anatomy what I like to call the multidimensional being, it got me to really understand that in order to heal, we have to address each and every one of these layers of, of our multi-dimensional um, anatomy. And those layers are the electromagnetic, psycho-spiritual, biochemical, and then being. Did so- you
1: already have this philosophy of what the layers were or is that something you developed as part of your healing process?
0: You know, theoretically, I had read books on chakras and, um, you know, I came from a background where my teachers, uh, you know, participated a lot with Chinese medicine. In fact, my, my internal alchemy, my Taoist yoga teacher, he taught out of an acupuncture clinic that he started. So I had kind of this Eastern understanding already but when it came time to look deep within and figure out how can i help my body heal from this thing that you know quite frankly i i have not been able to find anybody that's healed from it you know like there's folks that have come a long way um there's folks that still kind of like you can tell that they've had a spinal cord injury right the, from the way they walk or the deficiencies of their body you can really tell and so to get put in that arena with these tools and be like okay show me what how they work show me what you can do with these tools and um and so it's at that point it's just like you go to work you know
1: right so let's go back to because I'm fascinated what were you doing in that tree
0: (laughs) what was I doing in that tree everybody wants to know were those coconuts worth it (laughs) um I was up in the tree I was a coconut tree trimmer out here in Hawaii it's a trees everywhere that need trimming. So I jumped onto that terrain and started trimming coconut trees. And this was just another one of those trees. I had trimmed the tree just next to it the week before. So that's what I was doing. I was up there, I was trimming, and I was going to use those coconuts to go on a week-long cleanse uh, prior to my, to kind of set myself up for this debut that I was going to have.
1: Were you trimming trees every day at that point? Like, how experienced were you in this tree trimming
0: Not every day. Um, Maybe I'd do a few a week, but it was something that I was making a living at. You know, I'd take the coconuts and I'd go sell them down to tourists and I kind of double down on my efforts. You know, you get paid to trim the tree and then you get paid to uh, hand out the coconuts.
1: All right. So doing it enough to be, you know, experienced and skilled
0: at this. So
1: do you know or do you have any recall of exactly what happened?
0: I recall climbing up the tree and I was actually sitting in the tree front when I kind of had this deep knowing that something was going to happen. And it kind of came to me in this whisper. It kind of came into this knowing of, hey, you're about to fall, but everything's going to be okay. And it was at that moment when I was like, oh no. And I went to go really hold onto the tree towards the center because you can sit in in a coconut palm on the palm fronds in the center of the the crown and you're not going anywhere they're pretty stinking sturdy and so I was pretty much there and when I got that that knowing I went to grasp at the tree and it was at that moment that I don't know what it was but I, the branch never fell but it just seemed to bend just enough that I just slipped right off of it And I fell about 30 feet, about three stories. Was
1: anyone with you? I had a partner down at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. So you hit the ground. Do you remember any of that?
0: I do. I remember the slip, the initial coming out of the tree. And I remember the impact and trying to move, trying to just like roll over onto my belly or roll over to my side and just like really not being able to having all of this will to want to, but nothing in my body would move, you know, everything was just kind of shattered, and not connected at that point. I mean, connected, yes, by soft tissues. But as far as the bones were concerned, like there was no integrity there. So, you know, I'm trying to use my legs to help myself flip over and nothing was working. And I'm like, well, what the like, I have all this intense pain above my waist, but below my waist, I can't feel anything. It's absolute silence.
1: And so the logical first step would be conventional medicine. Is that what you tried?
0: I was immediately flown to ICU, and I stayed in ICU for about um, a month on, in Queens Hospital. And then I was relocated to a rehab facility for a month on, also on a walk. And I stayed there and I did the conventional thing. Um, I did, went to rehab, you know, at multiple times a day while I was in inpatient care. And then once I was released in, from inpatient care to outpatient care, you know, I still continued to go, but I really didn't see what I was looking for, you know. And this is kind of one of the things that I'm so adamant about what it is that I do now as a spinal cord injury coach, is because I see a lot of deficiencies with the industry. I see a lot of, trying to get check marks, you know, getting this checklist done for insurance purposes or for the organization's purposes. But as far as getting that patient where they need to be and and really developing a foundation for them to work with, that's, it's pretty deficient. There's not a strong industry standard for that. It's kind of like, we just want to move them into this do what you can, you know, do the best that you can um, in this like eight to 12 week period, and then say la vie. It's it's
1: interesting because what was the, did you have surgery when you were in ICU?
0: Oh yes, oh yes.
1: Talk to me a little bit about the surgeries that you had.
0: Um, So I had surgery primarily on my spine and ankle. Um, Everything else was just casted. My arms were casted um, and my legs were casted. My torso was casted because my chest was broken. But my spinal cord and my T10, T12, no, T10, T11, T12 vertebrae were the ones that were fused from T10 to L1. So there's four vertebrae that got fused together. And then my ankle had a whole bunch of surgery done from, uh, you know, the, the tendons and ligaments needing to be repaired and sewn back on to the bones actually needing to be welded back together.
1: Wow, it's pretty extensive. What was what was the traditional medical prognosis at that point?
0: As in, am I going to walk again or? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, my doctors were great in that they kind of left it to the great mystery. You know, it was kind of one of those, we'll just have to wait and see, but there wasn't, it wasn't looking good. You know, I was a uh, complete paraplegic, meaning I had no no sensation there was no anything below the injury site it was just complete silence and so gradually gradually being in icu i started to put to use the practices that my teachers gave me and like any great yoga or meditation or martial arts practice we know that it starts with the breath and while i'm there in icu unable to move my arms, my torso, my legs, really the only thing that I had that I could move was my face and my breath. So I practiced as much as I could while I was in ICU, just doing those internal exercises of using my breath to cultivate chi. And from that point of building the chi strong enough, I started to deliver that chi through the different channels and into the different main energy centers to start rehabilitating from the inside out.
1: And did you see improvement while in ICU and rehab?
0: Absolutely. So I don't know if you've ever seen Kill Bill, but there's a moment where she is trying to get her body to move again after being in a coma for a long time. And it's kind of this moment where she's staring at her toe, just incanting, you know, wiggle your big toe. And so that's kind of what it was. It was, you know, building the energy and trying to get that connection reestablished. And then eventually one night, my leg actually had some integrity. It had a, a synapses. It had a little, you know, glitch. And so I was like, oh, wow. Like if I, can, if I can get a glitch, I can get it all to turn back on. That was my mentality. You know, if I can do it one time, All I have to do is do it enough times where it will just become an automatic thing again.
1: Very interested in the interplay between your belief system that that you're using your training to rewire yourself and the traditional medical doctors that you were dealing with. What was their take on what you were trying to do? Did Did you even talk with them about it?
0: I did. And actually, a lot of my doctors told me to rest, don't do too much, don't you know, go crazy into your practice, just, you know, rest. And the thing is, is I I would have listened to that advice and only gone to rehab therapy. I would not be in the condition that I am today, quite frankly. You know, my whole philosophy was get your ass out of the chair. I did not want to spend the rest of my life in the chair. And everybody's like, well, you know, how hard it must have been to, to get to where you're at. And my answer is always the same. Like it would have been significantly harder to spend the rest of my life in that chair. So as much as possible, I had to get out of my chair and I'd army crawl my way around the house or, you know, and gradually, gradually, like a like a newborn baby learning to walk, I started with my breath and then gradually, gradually I was able to roll myself over and crawl and bear crawl and walk over to something, stand up couple times, sit down, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. you just kind of follow that, that mastery that the babies have.
1: Did you have any fear that you might re-injure yourself in this, in this practice or
0: not? I, I re-injured myself every step of the way. About two months after getting back on my feet again, I established ulcers in my feet because of the way that I walked with this, what they call a stomper's gait, meaning I, I strike with my heel. And I've got no proprioception below my knees. And at the time I pretty much didn't have any proprioception below my waist.
1: Can you tell us what that word means? Proprioception.
0: Yeah, I didn't have the ability to know where I was in space.
1: And you still don't have that now?
0: I still do not know. I like if you touched anywhere below my knees, for the most part, I wouldn't know where you are.
1: You can feel it, but you don't know where it is. You Negative. Feel
0: it. I mostly cannot, cannot feel, feel below it. my knees. Okay. Correct.
1: Okay. And yet, you walk without braces or anything?
0: I use basically a soft basketball brace. I use those when I train. So, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. You know, I've had to go from the wheelchair to the walker to two canes to one cane to crutches to, um, you know, different AFOs. And every one of them I've had to just outwear you know, like I get through one, one hard brace with, you know, a custom brace for my foot and you just wear it till the wheels fall off. And then it's like, all right, well, what's the next step? And you know, what else you got (laughs) until finally you're starting to get some athletic braces and braces made for people that are, you Mm -hmm. know, playing professional sports and you're like, okay, this is getting a little more, you know, user-friendly.
1: Okay. And so I want to, um, create a little better understanding of what mobility is like for you so you can't feel if you brush against something you don't you can't tell spatially other than i guess your visual perception you can't really tell where your legs are is that right
0: essentially yes anything below the knees i have no idea what's going on if okay. you were to touch or poke or press on me
1: but above but- the knee you have sensation
0: exactly yeah and it's it's different sensation it's not like what i would feel on my arm it's maybe hypersensitive or burning or Mm -hmm. hyper pleasurable you know there's it it can change from one square inch
1: to the other what's the timeline from you're in rehab and and now you're at home and outpatient and you're Mm -hmm. practicing how how much time are we talking about to get kind to where you are now, to where you can walk and hunt and yeah. do the things you like to do.
0: Well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll fill in some history here. So when I got released from uh, rehab therapy on Oahu, my home at the time, I was living three miles deep into this jungle valley uh, in Hawaii, this place called Waipio Valley. And if you've ever been there, you know that it is a ridiculously intense four by four road. Down into this 2000 foot valley. And then three miles back, that was my home. And on the drive home, my vehicle broke. It broke halfway into the valley. We ended up having to get towed. It was awful. (laughs) Uh, We got towed by a neighbor. So I was stuck there in that tiny little cabin with no running water and no electricity for about 60 days. And I was in my wheelchair because I was in the jungle and I was very limited with how far my wheelchair could actually go, I was forced to be able to get beyond the wheelchair as quickly as possible so that my arena could expand. You know, with a wheelchair, I can only be inside that tiny little Quonset hut. But as I got better at developing, you know, using the different stages of my practice from laying to sitting, sitting to standing, standing to walking, I was able to develop my body again so that eventually I could make it to the walker And then I could use the walker to kind of make my way around this jungle. And gradually, gradually, I got up to two canes. And this is all within a 60-day period. And once I got onto those two canes, it was like, you know, the race is on. (laughs) Because at that point, basically, I tried every day to see how far I could get until I was able to actually walk myself uh, all the way around to the front of the valley and back, which is three miles up, a mile across, two and a half miles back, and then you horseshoe back. So quite a long ways, several miles, nearly 10 miles, I think, um, round trip. And so that was a lot. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm ready to get out of the jungle. So that 60 days outside of rehab therapy got me to where I was motating on two canes. From that point, I wasn't able to go beyond one cane For several years. And the reason why is because I developed that ulcer. You know, they'd give me on antibiotics and it would go away for a little bit, but it would always come back because of how my foot struck the ground. And so that's why I had all these specialty braces trying to alleviate that, but it never really went away. You know, I've had threats of amputation of my foot. I had to fly to California and go to, you know, different hospitals in order for them to put my foot through this kind of uh, rehabilitation. I've had skin grafts like, some serious work done on this one foot over the course of so many years and but once we finally got that taken care of then the cane you know I was able to completely rid myself of the cane and I've seen nothing but progress
1: since that's fantastic it's it's really an inspiring story Mm -hmm. so you had surgery you had some traditional rehabilitation you integrated your practice with that then you're an outpatient you're going pretty tough into your practice to get to this point What has been your journey since that first year? Let's say that's half a year, right? Yeah, yeah. What's been your journey since then?
0: Up until this point of getting out of the valley, I was primarily using the practices that my previous teachers had taught me, Um, Tai Chi Chuan and these internal Taoist arts it's internal alchemy, kind of like a Taoist yoga, if you will, but with a strong emphasis on cultivating the interior and the um, energetic body, if you will, I I was using that for about, primarily, for about two and a half years post-injury. And it was at that point that I actually had a conversation with an acupuncturist woman that I was seeing, And I shared with her kind of where I was at. And she said, I think you need to talk to this guy. And that guy relayed me to his teacher. And this man I've been uh, training with for the last seven or eight years. And my life has never been the same. Uh, And so my teacher now is the president of this international martial arts and Chinese medicine school. And what they do has absolutely changed my life. And it's really neat because they have clinics across North America. And so the ability to get this medicine is a lot more available than folks think. And what's neat about it is that this organization, you know, their specialty is martial arts. But if you know anything about martial arts, you know that there's an inevitability of being injured. and so this lineage of martial artists has been around for a very long time, and they've created and have have kind of um, treasured these healing practices and these different types of medicines that are designed for extreme injury, and so when I found my teacher, he started plugging these medicines away on me, you know, putting poultices and plasters and, you know, all these acupuncture needles and doing all this kind of like Eastern medicine on me and having me do these martial art type exercises. And over the course of these years, my body has gone through remarkable changes to where, you know, I don't necessarily even feel like I have a spinal cord injury anymore.
1: Do you feel like you could have accomplished that with your interior and energetic body practice, just given Um, that much time has gone by?
0: It's possible, but I think what I'm
1: doing now
0: builds the body in a way that I wasn't building before. And the medicine has been a key component of that, not just the physical practices that I'm doing, but what I'm allowing to be done in more of a passive way like I said, the poultices and plasters that are able to go deep and re- re-establish the, the knitting of the bones, that, you know, things that we can put on my spinal column to allow that to, you know, repair at such deep levels. And then all the other auxiliary medicines that they do, you know, not just the acupuncture, but things like craniosacral and this Chinese medical massage, you know, it's, it's not just one thing it's this entire package and it really becomes a lifestyle it becomes this thing where every day you know yeah you've got your meditations and you've got your exercises but then you know making sure that there's a proper practice of self-nourishment you know of of taking the time to allow somebody to kind of tune your body up and tune your (laughs) you you know your emotions and your you know mental processes and it's all tied together
1: (music) fascinating when would you say you started to make this shift toward helping others because i understand that's a component of your lifestyle now
0: well you know that's why i came out here to hawaii was i wanted to be able to share these practices in this beautiful landscape um so it was kind of you know the reason one of the reasons why i i came here you know yes i wanted did it, to dive how
1: long did it take you to get back to that after this um this event You know, I I hid
0: for a while, and I kind of just closed the world out, quite frankly. I closed the world out, and I just wanted to focus on rebuilding myself. I realized that sometimes the reason we're injured is to bring us to the edge of stillness, and the purpose for stillness is to bring us deeper into silence because it's in that silence that we really discover what it is that's limiting our ability to heal and so injuries bring us to silence so that we can listen so i really had to sit back and listen to a lot of things and a lot of different ways of my being that i needed to address so that i could go through you know the metamorphosis of healing
1: and about how long did that take before you started to come out of the metamorphosis Uh,
0: Maybe up until three years ago.
1: It sounds like a very patient path.
0: Well, you know, (laughs) with the spinal cord injury, you're in it for the long haul. (laughs) You know, there's there's not really an end date to this thing until you expire.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the assassin side of the equation. When did you develop an interest in the bow?
0: I've always had a uh, romance for the, for for hunting, for, you know, getting out there. I always kind of grew up with these hunters. You know, I grew up as a cowboy out there in Southern Oregon. And so I had a lot of adult friends, my mom's community that was into hunting and I always wanted to, but I never got into that. And it wasn't until, um, you know, being being a paraplegic, you see like, okay, there's these guys that are going to the Paralympics and they're, doing these incredible things. And, uh, archery was one of those things that I thought maybe I could get into that for, for the Paralympics. And it turns out I'm, I'm not much interested in going to the Paralympics for archery anymore, but I did discover a love for it. Um, and it really just happened one day. My recently, actually my buddy brought a bow from the Midwest when he came to visit and he put it in my hand and I fell in love immediately. And on my third day of practice, there was a a pig on the property. So I, I went to work. (laughs) And from that point on, it's kind of just been a passionate hobby for
1: me. Were you free diving before the accident?
0: I was not. No, this is all, this is all brand new stuff. Um, You know, out here in Hawaii, there's only so much land that you can traverse after that. You kind of got to get in the water if you want your world to expand. Uh, So, we, you know, swimming was cool, but I could only, you know, maybe go seven feet, eight feet deep before, you know, before I hit my limit. And I really wanted to go and, and I wanted to be able to go a little bit deeper and I wanted to be able to really pursue spearfishing, but I needed a level of safety, especially being a paraplegic. I wanted safety and I wanted some better skills. I wanted some better understanding so that I can become more efficient. And so I met this world-class freediver, Benjamin Zions. Um, he moved over from Maui. This guy is like seven plus minute breath hold, 300 plus feet depths that he can get to. I mean, just an absolute animal. And so I took one of his courses and I went from like, I, well, I, I, basically that first day of practice, I was able to hit 86 feet with him because he had taught me how to use my body more efficiently it was absolutely amazing being weightless and being able to use my body in this way that very few people do. And I, I just absolutely fell in love with it.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting because there's some strong parallels between the free diving practice and some of the, the other practices that you're describing, like the breath work and the other things that you've done. Did you find that to be a natural flow?
0: I absolutely did, and in fact, I I find that free diving is like qigong for the elite. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a high competitive um, breathwork game, and it really requires you to quiet your mind and be in this meditative state. It requires you to be streamlined with your body and make sure your chin is sucked and your crowns erect and making sure everything is, is, is in its proper place, much in the same way that a yoga or a martial art would.
1: Was there anything particularly challenging about getting everything aligned and in tune with free driving when it came to the proprioception that you bring to the party?
0: I don't know that I even gave it much attention. Um, because I was so focused on my breath and my mind, and making sure that my body is kind of doing what I need it to do, um, I didn't I didn't really focus too much on my feet. You know, with freediving, you're pulling on the rope, so. I could kind of just let my legs float. And since I'm inverted and upside down, it's perfect because my legs are just going to float and kind of come along for the ride. Yeah. So it doesn't, free diving doesn't require- So it's a little more be, upper body. It's, yeah, exactly. I'm just pulling on a rope, being super cool. graceful, super relaxed. Huh. Now it's when I convert that that uh, practice into spear fishing. Now I have to have all those same um, considerations, but I need to add the mechanics of kicking and that's where it can take a little bit of a different, um, you know, it it could take a different path because it does require a lot more work and it requires me to really like, you know, pay attention to how I'm kicking. Otherwise, I'm just going to be absolutely wrecked the next day or I'm going to be out of breath. I'm going to put myself into a super precarious position, being maybe 50 or 60 feet under the water and not having the energy
1: to make my way back up. It's interesting as we talk, because you refer to yourself as a paraplegic, yet you can walk. And I think that's a conundrum for, it would be a conundrum for many people to hear that. Does, any, a, does that
0: occur to you? I get a lot of interesting comments from people who don't think that I've ever had an injury. And that's what I'm so excited about sharing these practices and putting together this healing center that I am out here in Hawaii, because it's like, if you want to do something, you want to look to who's doing what it is that you're doing. And I am excited grateful because I've gotten to that level where people no longer see me as having had a spinal cord injury.
1: I would imagine that the people who'd be most interested in the conundrum would be those that are paraplegic and want to become more mobile, I guess.
0: It's an interesting thing um, because it's very it's very divisive and it triggers a lot of people to see somebody who has had that same injury perhaps even the same exact injury at the same locations who is doing something that you cannot now maybe it's just because i've had more time maybe it's because i've done different strategies or i've implemented different strategies than folks and what i find is i have most oftentimes i've got a completely different strategy than many folks and the the deeper thing of it is that I find a lot of folks have this kind of sentiment of specialness right they have an injury and they think or they kind of get into the space well now everybody gives me all this kind of attention and everybody gives me you know I got this special car and I get a government allowance and I get all this care and attention and everywhere I go everything I do I'm getting a special care and so for some folks even though their body has made it through this you know the body has done its um, organic healing and you know has done some repairs it's their mind or their spirit that has kind of kept them in this in this paralysis and so that's the the greater thing here is getting past our own uh, self-induced paralysis.
1: What about the support systems for people who are on this type of journey, whether it's spinal cord injury recovery or any other kind of recovery, what advice do you have for the supporters or the support systems?
0: I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, I think the best thing that you can do to help folks with this type of injury as a support system, a, a spouse or a family member, it's tough love. They have to do their own work. If, they get, if a person gets used to being catered to, if a person gets used to somebody always coming and doing the work, then they're never going to develop the necessary requirements in order to expand past that you know, comfort zone. So even though it is painful, or uncomfortable or hard to watch somebody struggle as they crawl across the floor or struggle as they try to do something for themselves. That struggle is necessary. If you try to open a cocoon of a butterfly, it won't have the strength to fly. If you open up an egg for the chick, the chick won't have the strength to grow into a chicken. Life gives us challenge for a reason. Diamonds are made under pressure. So in order for us to expand past those limitations, we have to meet challenge with our own efforts.
1: So my last question is really what's next? Where are you going from here?
0: Great question. So what's next is I've teamed up with my teachers here in Hawaii and some of the other leadership in our international school, and we are putting on spinal cord injury recovery boot camps out here in Hawaii. And we're looking at 30 and 90 day programs. And basically folks would come out, they live with us, they train, they do the medicine um, and they just get to experience the whole kind of arena that I went through. They get to do it at this beautiful uh, private residence, on, you know, looking out towards Maui, it's, it's awesome. Eventually building an actual facility that is solely dedicated to holistic neuro rehabilitation.
1: Well, it sounds like a beautiful future. Thank you for joining us today on Digging Deep, True Stories of Big Change. I'm your host, Kelly Stiring, founder and principal researcher from Insight Farm. At Insight Farm, we help companies make their products better through conversation and connection with consumers often told us stories like the one you've heard today. If you'd like us to help you with consumer research, or if you'd like to participate in this podcast and tell your story, reach out at www.insightfarm.com. We look forward to the conversation.